Marky Worthington podcast all day. All day. Dream by night. <laughs> Don't buy me a drink. Just give me 10 bucks. <laughs> all day. <laughs> Go down to the strip club with your floppy disk and turn it into a hard drive. Yeah, right. You'll get fucking thrown out by Big Tony. <laughs> We're here to name names and make people feel more ashamed for shit that they're not proud of. Don't blow it. Keep it simple. Count your money. No, oh, whatever it is. Okay, let's uh, get into it. So, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Um, here with, uh, well, Canberra comedian, but not always from, um, not not recording this year in Canberra. We're uh, actually on the, the undisclosed remote location, I guess. Um, on here, the south coast. On the south coast, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about you introduce yourself for the listeners? Well, I'm Lady Blah Blah. And I like to talk, so let's let her rip. <laughs> yeah, let her rip, okay. Um, maybe that's the new name for the podcast, let her rip. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're, so we're catching up here on the South Coast. Anyone that knows me um, or has listened to any of the previous episodes, I've got fairly strong ties of the South Coast. I grew up down here. Um, and yeah, down here to uh, you know potentially get some stage time, but although it doesn't look like that at this point... Um, Decided it'd be a good time to uh, catch up and talk. Lady Blah Blah and I have had a f- fairly few good conversations, you know, in the green room before gigs or just off to off off stage conversations. Figured it'd be a good time to to actually get some of it down and share with the listeners. We usually go into tangents about random things um, from over the years, and you know, growing up in outside of Australia and all that sort of stuff. There's plenty to talk about. Let's start with that, though. You're not originally from from Australia. Let's uh, get and, and anyone that understands an accent has probably picked it by now. But let's get into into more of into more of your uh, backstory. Yeah, I've had had uh, remember a drunk on the street in Sydney once came up to me and said. Hey, you're from New Jersey, aren't you? I said, oh, shit, you can't, uh, you can take the goyle out of New Jersey, you can't take the New Jersey out of the goyle. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been most of my life now in Australia and, uh, uh, and very happy for that, especially the way the United States is going. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I had a very, very happy little upbringing in the United States on the East Coast, just outside New York. And uh, I am very grateful for the fact that they hadn't invented Ritalin yet when I was a kid, because <laughs> my God, they would have had me on Ritalin by the age of five. <laughs> I got kicked out of two kindergartens for being a smart ass. Oh, really? And nothing's much changed since <laughs> Not then. many people get kicked out in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I called the teacher a liar. Yeah. The first time. Uh, the, the, no, that, well, she was trying to tell me that my dress was gray and I knew it was purple and she insisted and finally I blurted out, you're a liar, and she sent me out in the hall. <laughs> and then uh, my mother couldn't figure out why I wouldn't go to school for the next couple of days. But, um, and before that, in the previous school, it was um, uh, disobedience, I guess, you know, walking out when I should have... Uh, been, I w- they wanted me to hold some little kid's hand, hold the boy's hand, and I just walked out and, you know, or I don't know, disobey, disobedience of various kinds, yeah. which really did not serve me too well when I then, in desperation, took a job in the public service. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was so. the, uh, what was the, the Groucho Mark? Uh, that, uh, that, that, that's right. I finally, uh, in the public service, I, I, after having taken them to the Human Rights Commission and come out on the other side, I uh, 
and then uh, probably can't be the only person who did a PhD to get out of the public service. <laughs> but after a couple more returning to the scene of the crime and working for a few places and again, just no good deed went unpunished from the public service, I reached what I call the Groucho Marx inflection point. I wouldn't work for any agency that would hire me. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> Basta. You know? Man, I um. Yeah, I I like I like when we hit that point in in life where you decide that you know you're better off without it. Um, had you already had you always been public servant before that? No, was, no, no, no. Like, I, I I hated the thought of working in an office because my mother worked in an office. Yeah. I never wanted to be a teacher. Uh, again, I I wound up uh, teaching high school for a while. Uh, couldn't stand that because, uh, you know, every, it, was, it was too much like being a parent. Oh, somebody always needed their ass wiped or smacked. Yeah. And uh, couldn't handle that. Even, even though the senior secondary, the, sen the colleges in the ACT, they were kind of okay. Um, but the, the last time I, I was reduced to working as a s relief teacher in a high school in Canberra teaching mathematics, I can remember sitting in the car park at De Deacon High School crying at three o'clock because they did not understand the music of the spheres, which is what mathematics is all about. I've got a four-year degree in mathematics. Yeah. And these kids were so arrogant and disdainful. We were doing some kind of task and they were adding seven and five on their fingers to get 12. Mm. It broke my heart. These, these are like 15-year-olds who couldn't add seven and five together. Yeah. And arrogant thinking, yeah, anyway, that, that uh, no, no, can't, can't teach mathematics, couldn't, uh, did okay teaching media for a while. I've taught all kinds of things, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? What, what about I, those who can't teach? <laughs> Well, we, we, we go blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> we do podcasts. And, yeah. uh, well, that, that's right. That's right. So, in fact, look, I've only ever been told I'm good at two things in life, okay? Yeah. And that's writing and fucking. <laughs> so, inevitably, I wind up writing about fucking. <laughs> yeah. Because I haven't worked out how I can fuck about writing. <laughs> okay? And so, yes, I do write. Um, I, I've discovered there is this whole genre called erotic fiction yeah yeah and but i haven't got much of imagination so yeah. i have to write erotic nonfiction. yeah <laughs> it takes a lot of research you know and uh <laughs> there is this thing called action research yeah oh i'm right into it it's okay it's okay <laughs> works for me <laughs> oh um normally the victims of my writing are only in the audience members um but yeah the it's an interesting actually you mentioned about adding numbers right this is something that i've picked up on more recently it's something i've always thought about um but it's sort of i guess with the internet people talk about things more so you understand different perspectives sometimes that's good most of the time that's negative if you had to add seven and five right and i didn't know that there's different ways that obviously people do that different mindsets okay so what I do for some reason, this is how my, my mind works. If I was to picture everything's in groups of 10, right? 
So seven to get to ten needs three. Yeah. So I chop three off the five. Chuck that on top of the seven. Now that's ten. Now I've got two left from the original five. So I've got a ten and a two. That's twelve. Sounds like hard work the way you're describing it. I don't know it. why I do that. Yeah. But for some reason, that's the method I take for adding numbers. Okay. So I will, I will sort it into piles of 10. And then add and minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that with long strings of numbers. But you know what Lewis Carroll called, you know, the guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland. Okay. What he called. Heroin addict. Well, that's, that's part of it, yeah. What he called the four operations of arithmetic. What were they? Ambition, distraction, uglification, and derision. Derision? Uh, yeah. And what's, what's two things? What's derision and what's uglification? Well, uglification is you make things uglier. Yeah. Right? Uh, that, that, but uh, derision is when you're... Um, Casting aspersion, calling something negatively, you yeah, see, right. negative stuff. Now, you know how I do the word of the week sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Okay, now the one I want to use is hedonistic. Do you know what that no. means? No. Hedonism? That's, uh, I got to look it up the precise, but hedonism is when you give in to all your worldly pleasures and delights and okay. sensuality and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. A hedonistic person sort of doesn't care about the consequences, yeah. whatever. Now, I've worked out, I've worked out that at this late age in life that if I do whatever makes me happy, which is basically hedonistic, that I only do whatever makes me happy yeah. and if what I do that makes me happy doesn't make other people unhappy or it doesn't make them angry or pissed off or want to take out a gun or slap me in the face then I should always only ever be doing what makes me happy mm. isn't that good yeah yeah okay bearing in mind that I don't want to do things that the kind of things that make me happy are not usually the kind of things that make would, others. Yeah. I mean, I don't go around, you know, insulting people or things like that. So yeah. therefore, we should all always be doing whatever makes us happy. Yeah. Not what the government or the morality tells us we should be doing. Yeah. Like generally society's got it all backwards. Take the example of nude beaches. I okay. mean, the we at the moment it's like you can't anybody who's ever swum in the ocean shout out to myrtle beach yes i've been there you you always want to swimming naked is the best possible thing you can it's just it feels so good right yeah. but at the moment it's like oh no you can only go to a certain place and do that but now we know that's wrong that's ass over tip because if you wear a kazi you're emitting microplastics into the ocean mm. and that's bad Therefore, all beaches should be nude beaches with an area roped off at the end for people who want to wear kazis, and we should shame them. <laughs> I think that's the way it's it should be. It's the opposite to what it currently Absolutely. is. Absolutely, and a whole lot of things are like that. We should really be doing whatever makes us feel good. Mm. That's a fair enough philosophy, I, I reckon. I think so. I honestly think that um, we rely too heavily on tradition and not what we think is best for us well you're echoing Nietzsche the philosopher Nietzsche now I've only read one book 
actually by Nietzsche, mm. which someone said, oh, read this one, Ecce Homo, it's the one that's most accessible. Well, it was kind of like the guy was on something when he wrote it. And yeah. it, it's really repetitive, really negative, really horrible in a lot of ways. I reckon Nietzsche, but, but it's saying, it's criticizing the whole world order. Yeah. And e even though he was, his philosophy was twisted by his, sis his sister, that's right, who, in, who edited his works and turned into a neo-Nazi kind of thing, because yeah. she was married to a Nazi. He actually didn't like the Germans. He was actually very favorable towards the Jews, but not towards the Germans. So it was exactly the opposite of the way we think of Nietzsche. But he said the church, all of that, everything that tells us how to behave is keeping us from realizing what we really are. And that the people who break through that are the ubermensch or the, the full people, who the, the superhumans are the people who break out of that stuff. And I'll tell you where you see, I see this is of course in people's sexual behavior because the first thing you wanna do if you wanna control people is you control their sexual behavior, what they eat, how they dress, how they can talk. You, you put those pinchers on yeah. and then people think, oh, this is what I have to do, this is what I have to do. Whereas the people who actually throw that stuff away and say, well, actually, no, I'll do what I want. Yeah. They're, the, they're the true freedom fighters in, in the world, you know, I think. Yeah, I think know? so too. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I've always been in trouble for that reason. Uh, did not fit in the public service. <laughs> even, even when I did really good things that met all their requirements, then that's when I got slapped around, you know. So. You did mention no good deed went unpunished. That's right. That's um, right. I think that also a lot of people don't bother to question why they do things. A lot of people just... How often do you hear people say, like, I've always done it this way? Like it does, it takes, it's uncommon, but mm. it takes someone to actually question why are we doing it like this for someone to do that. What, like the amount of times I've started a new job and uh, had a fresh pair of eyes over mm. a process and said, why do we even do that? Until someone says, oh, I don't know. It's like, well, why did it take someone to ask for you to mm. like mm. daily? I ask myself, why do I do this? Like everything in my life that I do, I ask, is there a better and quicker way of doing this? Is there a reason that I'm doing this at all? Or, yeah, or do I even want to be doing this? And yeah. why do I think I need to be doing this? Could I be doing something else? Yes. And that's the tough one. People like the security of knowing, you know, things are uh, reliable in some way, but we live in a world now where uh, disruption is the new normal. Mm. You know, what we're going through and, um, you know, I do climate change jokes, a <laughs> hilarious topic, but it's, it's just gotten more and more obvious that, excuse me, puss, <laughs> that the world is uh, tilting over into a very, very unstable kind of place. And the only, uh, the only real relief from that that I see is having fun and being nice to people. You know, that's, that's, that's about all you can hang on to. Um, and, um, uh, it's, yeah. it's a quote. I think, I think this is actually a quote from 
from uh, Charlie Manson. Of all people. Uh, he said, do you want me to be the guy you're trying to make me? Hmm. Hmm. And I find a lot of relationships are like that. I uh, find uh. a lot of people will, and, and blokes my age that I've spoken to, even blokes older than me, that have been in a relationship f to the point where they were, they became the person that the partner had want mm -hmm. them to be, and then neither of them wanted to be that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, uh, I also used, to, when I was younger, I also used to think that without another person, I didn't have an identity because I was always becoming whatever I was in a couple. Yeah, you know, rather you were the than the other half. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now I've realized I don't give a shit. Mm. You know, it's sort Do of you like think uh, you always felt like that. You just didn't have the empowerment to do it. I think I've always found my own way, bubbling along, bouncing along, stumbling along. Mm. Uh, doing things that oh that's yeah, I never I never planned a career or anything like that. Mm. I never did any kind of education with a view towards oh that's going to get me a job or that's the path I want to find. I never I just I was I was just earning a living somewhere along the way and I worked out once that somehow I have spent more years after high school. I've spent more years in full-time education than I have in full-time work. Oh, okay. And I think, ooh, pretty good, uh, because I'm a person who likes learning. Mm. Uh, so I've done a lot of studying, but I don't really know anything. This is the, <laughs> this is the you know, that... that um, so aside from the times I've worked as a waitress or a go-go dancer or something like that, I basically have only ever been paid for reading, writing, and speaking. Mm. That's that, which means it's very doesn't you know just vanishes in the air. What does all that stuff count for? Yeah, it's, you know? although I think that an education influences you, whether you realize or not. Like, for example, people talk about common sense, thinking that you're born with it. Whereas a lot of things that people do, obviously, is from, th like, their education or their learning. And then they um, portray... Like, for example, you look at third world countries where they don't get an education for free. Um, and people are like... Why don't they just stop having kids? Mm. You know, because the, there's this idea of like that they know things that we know. They know what we know. Because the thing is, people can only look at something from their own perspective. Mm. So And experience. And experience, right? So yeah. they, they will like look at someone else's experience through their eyes and not through the person that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, someone that might know how to 
filter drinking water and how mm. to like grow crops or whatever might say why don't people that don't have water and food know how to do that well it's because they like don't they don't it's know what common. they don't know and all of course and they're locked into ways of doing things and all but also you can't help but think that the way our world is now and everything is gadgetry and this and and we're kind of cut off from the natural world that we've lost a lot of ability to perceive the world as it really is around us somehow and um i mean that's why i guess i do consider it part of my teutonic upbringing my german background the black forest the whole thing always need to have more trees around me than people yeah you know i really need to get my hands in the soil i need to do that i need to have that yeah. is, is um i i was in belconnen the other week where the new the where the labor club is yeah. and there's all these big buildings, buildings and it's yeah. closed in and up and i felt i felt kind of claustrophobic and i felt it was really ugly mm. and i felt i need to get away from that and that's why i you know have this place just look at all the trees and you know just still submerge yourself in nature absolutely you know yeah. and uh there is a whole kind of gardening called nude gardening. I didn't know about it. I haven't invented it, but, but why not? Yeah. That's one way to keep the leeches from grabbing hold. You can yeah. see them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they can see you too. Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> to watch out. Yeah. The, um, you, you, you mentioned before growing up um, at the start of the podcast you also touched on some of your work as a go-go dancer. Let's talk some more about that. Now, from what I understand, that was sim that was a in a similar timeline of when you first came to Australia? Or? Well, I uh, came to Australia. I was only about 22 when okay. I came to Australia, and I was married to an academic who had a job at Sydney University. I met him while I was finishing my maths degree, and he was finishing his PhD in psychology. And uh, he was a rat man. He used to do experiments with drugs and rats and things. Uh, and um, so, and I worked for a while over the summer holidays as a go-go dancer yeah. in university when I wasn't working as a waitress. And um, uh, explain that to people that don't know. What's it? What is it? That long ago that people don't know what a go-go dancer is <laughs> that uh, wore a little costume with little fringes on it and things like that and you'd go in a bar and get up on a table and you know and at that time it was five dollars an hour mm. which was about three times what I could get as a waitress <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know and um, it was a bit of a fun it was a lark etc and then but you know like many things I've evolved you know when I was a kid I did ballet and then then became a cheerleader in high school and never got invited to the prom unfortunately um, was always a bookworm always yeah. the kind of you know poetry that sort of thing um, and uh, then you know went to university was mildly anorexic as a teenager yeah. Which has stood me in good stead in old age. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a uh, little bit of vanity doesn't hurt, you know. And, uh, uh, and um, 
came to Australia and almost immediately joined a dance drama group in Sydney, the Margaret Barr Dance Drama Group. Uh, there were a bunch of uh, sort of left-wing theatrical performances involving dance. I'm still friends with some of those people from those days. Some mm. have passed away, unfortunately. And we would put on things like about Pablo Naruda and um, Daisy Bates and different characters in history. And that was, a, that was run by an old uh, Hungarian woman who went right back through European days to the, um, the Bejar Dance Company. She had links to those people in Europe, you know. So that was a lot of fun doing that. And then uh, I did a year of, um, left my husband in Sydney after about a year um, because- Had you um, moved over together or? Yeah, yeah. We got married in New Jersey, had a year in Vancouver because he had a position there hmm. um, that he didn't, didn't stay there. University of British Columbia was beautiful. Vancouver was beautiful then. Uh, then we moved to the Middle East and had a year in Beirut, Lebanon before their civil war. Lebanon was called the uh, Paris of the Middle East then. Mm. And I saw balls of hashish, the size of your fist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in those days you could buy amphetamines over the counter. Jesus. In, um, uh, so the Middle East was, was kind of interesting, a little bit <laughs> <Yeah>. scary. <laughs> when uh, we were living in a penthouse on the 13th floor and Nasser, who was the president of Egypt, died of natural causes, nothing uh, untoward. And there were about five days of gunfire in the city in Lebanon, random gunfire, about eight people got killed. And we were kind of like creeping around off the balconies on our penthouse, because you could hear gunshot. We didn't leave the place for about five days. Jeez. And that was peaceful. That was, that was a peaceful situation. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so um, anyway, then he got a position at Sydney University and we moved to Sydney. So I lived on three continents in three years yeah. as a trailing spouse, you know, so, yeah. you know, what was I doing? And I had a degree, but no real experience because um, my degree was in uh, mathematics and foreign languages. And basically I was good for nothing and uh, except becoming a high school teacher. Mm. So I finally got into that, which is where I met my second husband, and um, who was an engineer who'd come out from Canada. And you know, in Canada, in Newfoundland, that's a island off the east coast of Canada. Okay, I didn't know that, no. And um, basically a long fishing kind of, you know, history of that sort of thing. Yeah. And in Canada, the way we tell jokes, I guess, about Queenslanders. Yeah. Or in the United States, they tell jokes about Southerners, yeah. Well, in Canada, they tell jokes, Newfie jokes, yeah, about Newfoundlanders. Yeah. Unfortunately, I married one. <laughs> <laughs> I married a Newfie joke, so that didn't work out too well. Straight out of the shipping news, that that him and his, but he was an engineer, very smart guy, but um, very neurotic. So anyway, uh, uh, so then uh, married him and um, uh, had a couple kids. And um, strange situation. Anyway, eventually moved on from that. I've kind of ended every relationship I've ever been in. You know, I kind of have brought them all to a halt. And um, uh, um, is, it, is that because you just realized that you're not 
into it or what what i don't know is there anything in particular like a trend well must be a trend you know i just sort (laughs) of uh moved on i guess um well they're you know long stories but basically not haven't found uh somebody who who i could really feel totally comfortable with but they all served a per- the first one was about getting out of new jersey mm. in retrospect yeah because he opened up my world in a lot of ways and and was very intellectual very uh into the uh travel literature and and, and, and things like that. a real free thinker yeah and um very very you know in those days was free love in sydney you know it was there was a lot going on it was like it was like swingers without the name yeah it was happening it was all happening (laughs) yeah before they had a name for it so um (laughs) the second one was really about having children and i'd known him for a long time because we'd done teacher training together and he was an engineer and he was and he was a hippie and we you know we're going to grow food together and blah 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 we went and lived in newfoundland and uh you know built this igloo and things like that unfortunately he was very uh neurotic and um, so that eventually, I had to bring that to a close. Yeah. And uh, and then I fell in with an Aussie guy, and that went on for like twenty-seven years. And um, and then I realized it was just not. It served its purpose at the time. It kept me from from. Uh, I mean, men have been a terrible distraction in my life. Mm. You know that. Um, so that kept you kept you. <laughs> Kept me off the streets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Kept you on the straight and narrow. That's for... right. That's right. So, um, and you know, I don't, I don't, I can do monogamy. I did it for decades. Hmm. What I don't do now, I don't do celibacy masquerading as monogamy. And hmm. keep that one. That that gig is is over. <laughs> don't do that one. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so. Uh, <laughs> No, it's been a long story. You can't really condense it into things, but I've wandered around and done this and that and joined the public service and did a PhD and a postdoc and, you know, the, um, so I got more degrees than a thermometer and I am totally unemployable. And that's why I did them. He goes, why work for a living if you can just go blah, 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 (laughs) for free, for free, you know, and, uh, no, so it's 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 been good, and somehow I I have <laughs> I'm now free. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you know? and that's a, that's and I intend to. I will do whatever the fuck I like <laughs> in the years remaining to me because I think I've earned I've earned the points, you know. Yeah, and that and that's it. And I and I'm and I'm harmless. I'm basically a harmless person. Yeah, you know. And, uh, but watch out for harmless people. Yeah, is, uh, and. Uh, and I think, um, you know, one of my lines is, uh, I, for better or for worse, I'm an intellectual. Now, you don't, that's not something you say, you know, I think when I grow up, I'll be an intellectual. <laughs> it's not, it's like, you know, I think I'll have freckles. No, it's yeah. not the way it works. Uh, but um, to me, an intellectual is someone who, for whom the world of ideas is a real place. That's why they lock them up. These people need to be kept off the streets, you know. Mm. In Pol Pot's Cambodia, they, you could get killed just for wearing eyeglasses. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because if, if you wear eyeglasses, maybe you can read. If you can read, maybe you can think. Mm. If you can think, maybe you can speak. 
or write. And if you can do that, maybe you're going to challenge us. So pew, off with their heads, right? Mm. But, um, you know, that... Um, so I've, I've, my natural gravitation is towards ideas and thoughts and all that sort of thing. So one of my academic positions even came with a complementary gender reassignment. When they, they offered me to become a postdoctoral fellow. I said, yeah, I'll take the fellowship, but you can keep the gender change. I'll, yeah. I'll stick with this what one. Was what was that for? Postdoctoral fellow oh. in electronic commerce. Yeah, and where, whereabouts was that based? At RMIT University in Melbourne. Jesus. Yeah. And so I went down there. Ooh, let's do it. And because um, I got the PhD, so I, I, that's right, I wrote a book with an academic guy, decided that, oh, this academic stuff is pretty cool. Hadn't done anything since I'd done my, I had a master's degree in linguistics from Macquarie University. Mm. And um, so I never really wanted to do a PhD because I thought I don't want to become so specialized, you know. But then I found out about these PhD scholarships and I just co-authored a book with this guy on Australia's aging society. And I thought, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I like the research, I like the writing. He said I was doing good. So I uh, ran into a woman who was doing, who had just finished a PhD who I knew from the University of Canberra. And she said, oh, I've just done a PhD, had this scholarship, and da-da-da. And because we're both outside the dressing rooms in Target. Oh, how are you, Ruth? Da-da-da, how are you? Yeah, da. And she was an older woman. And I went home that night. I said, I've worked out. I'm going to get out of the public service. I'm going to use the book that I wrote to get a PhD scholarship. And three years later, I was getting, a, uh, so I got three years leave without pay from the public service. That's right, because I'd taken them to the Human Rights Commission on Indirect Discrimination Charges. Yeah. Uh, that, that didn't go down too well. That, that did nothing for my career. I'm the, I must be the only person in the public service who acted down yeah. for someone else. You know, you, have, you get yeah. to act up. Yeah, yeah. I acted down for somebody who was on leave. Mm. And um, uh, they never got a promotion in the public service, never even applied for one, really. Just, just wanted to be left alone and... Uh, and uh, so I thought, no, no, I'll do this, I'll do a PhD. So I knew nothing about what a PhD involved or anything. And um, three years later, I was graduating, hmm. which I didn't even know nobody finishes a PhD in three years. Yeah. But, but I, I, I had three years and I was still a single parent. I, st I still had a kid to support, so I, I did that. And, uh, and that was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. And that's when I worked out how really fucked up the public service is. And, um, and um, so now, now I just, uh, oh, that's right. Now I do climate change presentations. Yeah. I'm one of the Al Gore groupies. Al Gore groupies. Yeah. Are you able to talk more about the case or not really? Uh, well, it was, it was basically um, when they brought in performance pay and I was working four days a week. Mm. And I was always a person who, because um, I was a single parent, that I would, I would show up like at, you know, eight in the morning, maybe. Yeah. But I was out of there at five because I had to go home to kids mm -hmm. and all. And they had all these senior officers floating around and they're working late and they're making a big deal out of things and da, 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 da. But I was always like clockwork. I was out of there. The newsletter, I was a journalist and the, the, the newsletter came out like clockwork, you know, there were no complaints, etc. But then when they did this performance pay, they had to set up a bell curve, didn't they? Mm -hmm. So the assistant secretary said, oh, well, um, 
you're not going to get performance pay, Karen, because um, you don't stay after five like the other senior officers. I said, wait a minute, that's not the way it works. It's not unlike the number of hours you work. It's like, it's like what have I produced. done? What have I produced? And is there any problems with that or mm -hmm. anything like that? So uh, because I saw my role as empowering women with information through this newsletter and, you know, bad government information for women, etc. Um, I had indirectly empowered myself because I knew about the Human Rights Commission and all that sort of thing. I was talking to somebody, the Human Rights Commission. I said, you know, they're not going to give me performance pay. What the hell is this all about? And this person said, well, that's a violation of ILO 156, which is the... Um, you know, that Australia is signatory to mm -hmm. international labor because workers with family responsibilities, you're a single parent, you would be not as able to work extended hours as a man. So that's an indirect discrimination. And I put in a complaint and it got accepted. Mm. And it was around, it was like the letter came through to the office saying, you've got a complaint from one of your employees yeah. in the office of the status of women in the prime minister's department of indirect discrimination. And their, their, their jaws dropped. Yeah, jaw dropped. And yeah. me, it was like Christmas, you know. <laughs> and then went through a long process of, you know, dragging things out, analyzing everything I'd done, and they brought in people and blah, blah, blah. And in the end we mediated, they had to give me a bit of money. I got the performance pay twice, so they couldn't, I had no disadvantage to prove, mm. really. But then, of course, I was put in a room by myself with nothing to do, uh, like a blue bottle in a jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's when I, then I took on a contract to write a book. So I was working four days a week in the public service and three days a week on a book with an academic guy. And, uh, and then that, put, then I found out about these PhD scholarships and then I just, I said, I'm out of here, you know. Mm. And, uh, and then again, so within three years, uh, after not having studied for 20 years, I turned out a PhD. I was doing international conference papers and publishing things and all that kind of thing. I, I did okay. And, uh, and it was never ask anybody about their PhD because it's, that's a hiding to nowhere. The topic, the title of it was, Does Democracy Scale an Interact, no, a Fractal Model for the Role of Interactive Technologies in Democratic Policy Processes? So once you hear that, like, I'm sorry, there's nothing more to say. There's a, what, what, what do you say? It was wonderful. It was, I enjoyed it. It was the richest experience of my life. It was like feeding me, you know, honey and mangoes all day. Yeah. Uh, because it helped me to understand the world. It helped me understand my place in the world. And, um, and it was, um, and I, I did really well at it. And, and uh, um, basically... I got through on my ability to write. And it's, um, so at the end, I worked out that a PhD is basically, it's a three-year take-home exam. Yeah. And you get to make up the questions. And you get to decide how you answer the questions. But could you please throw in some original research and tell us why it's worth doing? <laughs> you can do that, you got a PhD. Yeah. Actually, I got something to show you. Yeah. 
please flip over the tape to side B to hear the rest of this podcast. There you we were go. asking about New Jersey. After the break, we've returned. Yep. Bit of show and tell. Bit of show and tell. Uh, one of my high school buddies, yep. who then became a colonel or something in the U.S. Army. Oh God, is he is he bit very American Army type? There's something about him. But he was he was a kind of runty, gooky geeky guy in high school and we were in French class together. Yeah. And um, he contacted me recently, sent me a copy of my high school yearbook mm. from my junior year in high school. Yeah. You. Which, um, which is like a blast from the past. And not only that, he said, oh, I've got this thing for you. Can I send it to you? And he sent it to me. Now, and I said, Where? Well, why did you have this? He said, well, actually, I bought it on eBay. Somebody was selling it. I thought, but, but, but this is my high school yearbook because it's all to me. Yeah. And um, this is a real blast from the past. And so there's names in here and people and teachers and stuff that I'd, I'd forgotten. That's the way they did these things. Yeah, right. These, so it's, an actu- it's your actual high school yearbook. Yeah. And, and the only thing I can figure is when we packed up my mother's house to put her in a nursing home and had garage sales, um, some of this stuff vanished. So I yeah. think somebody stole it, and because I don't remember selling it, but I wasn't going to drag all this stuff back to Australia anyhow. And I'm in here somewhere in the junior year, but um, uh, <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. That, That's um, really cool. Well, and this is, this is how seriously, you know, the American... Um, uh, high school thing is taken. Um, I don't have my glasses. I could find anyway. And then there's a picture of me in here as a cheerleader somewhere. But, and the only name that's missing from that list of cheerleaders is mine. There's like twelve people in the photograph and only eleven names. Yeah, right. But um, so that's every year that's they put out these yearbooks. You know, yeah, it's it, wild. Well, so, like you hear a lot in. Uh, like American TV shows about this, the yearbooks. Yeah. So it's look at that hardbound. That's the school. You know, it was a long time ago. But um, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. It's exactly how you'd picture some of the yeah. some of the images in there. Yeah. Very very dated. What I, what I might do is, um, yeah, if we if we find we'll we'll go through after this and maybe yeah. um, I'll take a couple of photos of the book and I'll okay. just put them here. Yeah, bit in of the, fun. In the video version yeah. for anyone that's uh, watching. If you're listening to the audio version, go over to YouTube, Marky Worthington Comedy, and you'll be able to see um, the the video um, that sample that I'll put in here. But, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, like, we have yearbooks here, but they're not quite to that level. They're mm-hmm. just sort of like a like more of a magazine type. Yeah, and I don't know if they still do them. I Dude. mean, this is going back a long time. and uh, But it's, you know, the pictures and the names and stuff, it brings back the whole kind of thing of, you know, that one was dorky and that was she was really, you know, all the guys were chasing after her <laughs> and, and these ones were a click and all of that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, it's because I don't think about that. I'm in contact with nobody from yep. those times. Nobody. So you, you still, know. so does, does going through that remind you of people? Like, I yeah. mean, it, 
since it's been the years have gone on you know do you look back and think i wonder what that person's still doing do you ever reconnect with anyone uh well only rarely like the guy who sent me this yeah um i connect more with people that i knew in the um my early days in australia yeah and um you know and um yeah uh i yeah, not not a lot. And as you know, my my best friend from childhood has now died in the U.S. And uh, I've only got a few cousins left there. My whole family's gone. Um, I don't really have much to link me there anymore. Yeah, you know. So you you you've spent more of your years in Australia. Oh yeah, yeah. vast majority of my life yeah. in Australia. You know. Yeah. Do you still have memories of the U.S.? Oh yeah, like, I had a lovely childhood. Yeah, you know, we had there were there was open land uh, in in the suburbs. We could play. Uh, when I was in high school, I'd play hooky. When we played yeah. hooky, we'd go to Greenwich Village in New York. You yeah, know? Uh, the Empire. The Pope's there, isn't it? The who? The Pope of Greenwich Village. I don't know. It's a, oh, it's I a, don't it's know. a movie title anyway. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, from a hill in my town, you can see the Empire State Building. Yeah, right. Uh, that was... So I'd, I'd go off to the museums or whatever in New York. Um, and um, then I went to university in middle of New Jersey, um, New Brunswick. Yeah. It was a state university there. And... Um, so, but I was gone by the time I was 22 and only came back to live in the U.S. for a couple of years in, uh, I guess, the late 70s, early 80s. Lived in San Francisco for mm. a year. That was good. Uh, lived in Canada for a year. Lived in Vancouver for a year. Lived in the Middle East for a year. I lived in Melbourne for a couple of years. Sydney for seven years. Mm. But then it's been Canberra, you know, and the South Coast. I wish I could say you're the first person from New Jersey on the podcast, <laughs> but um, towards the end of last year, I had an artist that did the Goosebumps book series. His name's Tim Jacobus. Oh, yeah. Um, and he actually did a video call with me from New Jersey. Um, hmm. So we had a conversation, and I, that was just a score that I had because... You know, during the lockdowns, it was hard to get guests in person. And I figured if I was going to do a video call, it opens up the entire world to mm. as guests. Mm -hmm. So I reach out to him and you hit me back. Oh, nice. But um, there's a couple. So like I listened to a podcast called, uh, well, it used to be called The Church of What's Happening Now. It's now the, the presenter from that now just does his own podcast. But he's, he's an actor and a comedian called Joey Diaz. And he's from New Jersey. He's not born in New Jersey. He's from Cuba originally, but oh. he grew up there. His mum had a bar there when he was a kid. Hmm. It was he's got stories, and in his podcast, he talks about playing hooky, and that's yeah. how I know yeah. that term because yeah. here we just call yeah. it wagging or whatever. Yeah. Um, hmm. But yeah, he's got some crazy stories. He's got he's got a story about his one of his friends' mums was really good looking. He had a crush on her. Her name was Faye, <laughs> and he said that. Um, they used to they used to play in the neighborhood and she'd come out on the balcony and watch them play and they'd watch her watching them <laughs> and that but her husband um who was older um used to keep an eye on her because he knew that he'd be watching she was watching <laughs> the younger ones 
Um, but then he said that um, he had a crush on her, and one day he decided to make a move. <laughs> and uh, he just said, Faye, he said when he was a kid, like a 15-year-old kid, he says, Faye, can I, can I kiss you? And she goes, no, Joey, you, you're a kid, you know. <laughs> anyway, years later, so yeah. Joey, this is when Joey's a kid, right? So he's like in his 50s now. Faye's still alive, but she's in the 80s. And one of his... So his friend, it's his mum. She was staying at the house, and she called him up. He he called his friend. He says, hey, put, I put mum on the phone. She goes, Joey, you still got that crush on me? <laughs> Good on her. <laughs> That's cute. But the thing is, he has a daughter, like a young daughter, yeah. and they visit each other and that sort of thing and he still is in contact with a lot of his friends when he was mm. there he went to la for a while for acting and mm. comedy and all that sort of stuff mm. got in at the comedy store mm. all that sort of shit and i'm not doing his story justice but this is a brief overview mm. um and he's recently moved back to new jersey and he was saying that he feels like he's like you said at the start of the podcast he's always being a new jersey kid yeah you know um he's originally from cuba so yeah he he has like a different he has more of like a general american accent not like mm, a thick mm. latino just, yeah spanish but, but, one yeah yeah but he's got a really good um yeah he's good anyway whatever if people like that sort of stuff mm. it's uncle joey's joint but if you um yeah i guess if you move multiple places yeah you kind of pick up something from everywhere you go. Well, you know, the uh, Sopranos was filmed based in New Jersey. Yeah. And in fact, at w in one episode, uh, Ralphie in the Sopranos mentions my hometown of Carlstadt. Oh, right. Uh, just before he kills his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, honey, we're going to buy you a nice little house in Carlstadt, you know, and then bang. <laughs> um, you know, Karlstadt being the, the, a lot of German stuff there. Yeah. Um, the town is, set, was settled by Germans. There was a, when I was a little kid, the, the place where the town hall is now was actually a German beer garden. Yeah. Right. The whole block had yeah. tables and things set up. They would celebrate the German festivals and things. Um, went to a German sports club with my parents swimming up in the countryside lot of uh, Italians, now it's more Latinos, mm. more Indians, a lot of Koreans. It's sort of changed a lot, but it's always been a big melting pot. Yeah. You know, it's always been, uh, always been a, a good area in that sort of thing, but it's gotten more intense. And, um, but uh, no, I, had, I, had, I thought, you know, roller skating, ice skating, sleigh riding mm. you know bicycle riding all of that climbing trees it was it was a really nice healthy normal kind of uh upbringing i thought yep. um in those days before kennedy got killed mm. before the feminist thing started before the black movement started up again mm. i mean the civil rights thing has always been there but before a whole lot of things really kicked in it was those that time after the Second World War in the United States when, you know, everything was hunky dory except for the um, the threat of nuclear war. Because I remember doing air raid shell, you know, practices in the basement of the school. Um, but at um, this school? Uh, no, the the primary school. The before high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So uh, it was a, it was a fairly innocent time in those days, I think. Yeah. Before, I mean, people, not, kids nowadays can't remember what it was like not to be plugged into your phone all the time. Mm. Uh, but in those days, it was a party line, you know. It was, uh, but it was the outdoor stuff, and and it wasn't all fast food and everything. Like, if and us humble. You know, if we went out to dinner, it was because it was a special occasion. It wasn't like you're going out all the time. Mm. And um, so it was the, um, you know, the, I, was, I was a tomboy. I was, a, I was, you know, climbing trees and all that. Yeah. But I was also a bookworm. I was a tomboy bookworm. Yeah. You know. And Mix of both. Yeah, yeah. And had my little dolls and my doll, German dollhouse furniture. And I, had a, I thought it was a very happy upbringing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, except my father was very jealous, so they'd be screaming and hollering and jealous, as thing. in jealous if my mother danced with somebody at the German club or yeah, you know that sort of thing. There was really, you know, the the police came a, cu a couple times. Oh, that level. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't violent. It was just a lot of screaming and hollering. A very mm. the um, emotional side of it, I guess. Were, you, were your parents deaf. both German? Uh, he came from German background, yeah. uh, and that's why they met in the same street where there were a lot of German settlers. But so uh, his his he also had a bit of English and Irish in him. Yeah. But um, but German background as well. Yeah. yeah. So grew up with a lot of German background. Do, do they speak German at home? My, um, no, because my father didn't speak German. Okay, didn't. But speak. my mother would speak it with the relatives and things. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you speak multiple languages. What what languages? Well, I I did uh, French in high school and got advanced placement in university for that. Uh, and so I studied French literature for a couple of years. So I was writing exams in French. Yeah. Then I studied German in university as well. Uh, studied a little bit more German when I lived in Vancouver. Um, then I did a year of Italian at, at Sydney University and then went to Italy for a couple months. So the Italian was there. And then I studied Spanish um, uh, mostly in Canberra, I guess. I went and, and I had a, I spent seven weeks in Costa Rica studying Spanish also. Hmm. So, so not, not, I wouldn't say fluent in any of them really, but I can get by. Yeah. I can get by. I've, I've, I've been able to help uh, Italians on the street in Spain asking me for directions. You oh, know? good. And uh, so I, I can get by. And, um, and I love languages, you know. But, um, yeah. 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 But my English is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. it's, uh, see, mine's terrible. Um, I you get by. I can speak Australian pretty good. Yeah, but Australian. My, but my English is terrible. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or as I say, no bloody good. Mm. What's your, uh, tell me something that took a minute to like adjust to when coming to Australia. Was there any like terms or things that you remember from, you know, things that we, we, we call th like slang words or anything like oh, that? Oh, a lot of that. A lot of that. Um, you know, I was, I was a little bit, I, I remember thinking Australians were fairly taciturn when I first came here, that they kind of were a little bit on the quiet side. I remember seeing the, the English influence was still quite strong in Sydney in those days, before Sydney had become quite as multicultural as, as it is now. Um, and um, 
I remember feeling like a migrant, you know, I mean, feeling it was a little bit uh, challenging, but, and, uh, and that it was cold, Sydney was cold in the winter um, because they didn't have heating, yep. you know, that I was used to having heating. Everywhere. Would everywhere, have, mm. you know, that sort of thing, but, um, and that it rained a lot, <laughs> and now it rains a lot more. Um, but, and, and the plants, I remember the plants, uh, because things grow in Sydney that uh, you'd only have as house plants in North America, mm. in, on the East Coast. You'd, um, and I remember the um, things like the choco vines growing around the old Harold Park in yeah. Glebe and the frangipani trees and uh, lemon trees overlapping the back lanes and things. All of that I, I found, you know, really, really nice in Sydney. Do you think that appeals to your gardening side of things? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, always, I've always grown things, you know, at whatever little level I could. I've always had a garden and, you know, and, uh, and it gives me great, great pleasure, you know, that um, and I wouldn't, wouldn't call myself a fancy gardener, though. But, you know, over the years, I, I, I reckon I've developed my own brand of gardening. Yep. You know, I call it permaculture for people who don't read books or go to courses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's trademarked now, so it, it exists on the internet at least. That's right. Permaculture for people who don't read books or go to courses. That's it. Stick it in the ground, wish it good luck, and uh, sprinkle a few snail pellets on it. Yeah. And then eat it. Yeah. Yeah, before the snails do. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, um, well, let's wrap it up with that. We've nearly done an hour, so that's Gee. that's uh, it's, it's flown by. Um, I would say keep an eye out for any any uh, any new new content from Lady Blah Blah. Where can, where can people find your YouTube videos that you mentioned? Lady Blah Blah Canberra comic over on YouTube and just on Facebook. Do you have a Facebook page for your comedy separate I think one? that's Lady Blah Blah as well. Yeah. But, I'm um, not real good on the social media. Oh, that, that's fine. People will find it. People mm. people will, will build it and they will come. Hmm. Um, I'm going to, as I mentioned before, put up a couple of happy snaps from the yearbook um, ex in, in, the, in the video episode, but I might even clip it for my social media as well just as a short video sample. So yeah, cheers everyone for tuning in. Um, remember, we got the basement open mics on the f on the third Tuesday of every month. Lady Blah Blah regularly attends those, so uh, come along and check it out. Uh, yeah, cheers everyone for tuning in, and uh, catch you at the next episode. Thank you. Don't it's buy me a drink. Just name names. Yes, yeah, I'm right. Big Tony. You'll get fucking thrown out of the strip club with your floppy disk. Yeah, all day. Make people feel shamed for shit all day. Don't blow it into a hard drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep it simple. Count your money. That they're not proud of. Just give me ten bucks. Hey, right. One of my neighbours said she's worked out that I'm a hippie. <laughs> How long did it take you to work that exactly. out? Exactly. Um, very observant. Here's your neighbour, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, all of a sudden.